there's a couple of ideas around Baisha and, and who was Baisha. One of them that you'll often hear, it's one I associate with sort of Shaolin lines actually more, is this idea of nine years sweeping the floor, uh, which <laughs> if taken literally could be nine very boring years. But the implication being that before someone was Baishad, allowed to become an inner door member of the tradition, they would have to sweep the floor of the temple for nine years. During those nine years, they would be observed uh, to check their character and their dedication and their discipline and all the things you would associate with being a sort of Shaolin temple inductee, really. Pretty sure it wasn't literal, although maybe, who knows? <laughs> Sometimes the stories you hear from these traditions are pretty crazy. But I would assume during that nine years that that student was also learning the outer door aspects of the art. So that's one way of, of looking at it. And actually, one of the traditions I'm in still adheres to that to a certain degree, meaning that the absolute, not that I had to sweep a floor. I don't think they ever asked me to sweep a floor once, which I would have been happy to do. No, I don't think they do. did. But uh, the Baisha, the minimum... Like, it wasn't even mentioned before I'd been within that tradition for nine years. So, it was funny, it was almost to the day, actually, but come to think about it, the sort of, uh, the meeting after that nine years had passed that the Baisha wasn't even offered to me particularly, I was just given it. So that meant that I was actually watched and observed for nine years. So the teacher during that time wasn't just assessing my physical capabilities, which is a fucking relief because I'm a clumsy oaf, but also my uh, character and my dedication and my growth over that period of nine years, my respect, my discipline, you know, all those kind of things. They were getting to know who I was, you know. So that's one, one tradition or one sort of set of values you see around the tradition. The other one is called three years visiting the teacher, three years, no, get this right way around, three years. Not very good with Chinese sayings, as you could probably tell. But it's basically three years visiting the master, three years visiting the student. That's right. So six years of testing as opposed to nine. During the first three years of visiting the teacher, this is the idea that the student was visiting the master to receive teachings. Okay, so this first three years, the implication is visiting the master means that the first three years were an assessment of the student's ability to receive material from the teacher. How well could they learn? Like, do you have the potential to become an expert or, or dare I say, a master at these arts? Okay, so that's what visiting the master means, visiting the master to receive their teachings. The next three years were based upon the master visiting the student, meaning that by going to the student, doesn't literally mean you go to the student's house or or something. It means rather looking to the student to assess them as a person. So for the next three years, it was character um, assessment that was taking place. The master is visiting the student. Then after the six years, once it would be seen there's a match, you know, we have a person that is able to learn this. Um, they're also, you know, of decent upright character, according to the subjective, of course, opinion of the teacher. Plus, they got six years, six years training then that post person could be offered a, a baisha and inducted into that tradition. Okay, So once that person is inducted into the tradition, and this is purely only discussing the externals of the baisha ceremony, there are internals aspect to it as well within some traditions, but these are just externals. So after that six years or nine years, 
was a bare minimum, then the teacher would know, or the master would know, the holder of the lineage would know, this is someone I'm happy to take as a disciple, as a 2D, and then I will teach them the inner door aspects of the art. I would say that prior, the way I use the terminology is not quite the same as um, maybe how some others do. It's my own personal take in it, but I always think if you haven't been by Sherd, then you don't really have a teacher, you have an instructor. So my relationship with my students is as an instructor, I instruct them. I am here to instruct you in how to do these things, purely on the method. If, however, someone had been by Sherd, then my own terminology, not traditional, but just how I kind of see it, then the person who has bishered you becomes your teacher, not your instructor. So the difference to me is outer door is based on physical instruction. This is how you do the techniques. This is how you learn the art. The inner door, a teacher, is now a teacher to every aspect of your life. So therefore, they have a right to pass comments on your character and your behavior and your personality and your ethics. So one thing I've noticed, and I, like I say, teacher is the way I use the words, you know, just so you know, if I use those words, what do I mean? One thing I've noticed as well, and it's caused confusions in schools I've been in, is I've seen that if you get a big bunch of students in a school or any group of people together anywhere, some people are going to be difficult. <laughs> it's just the case. So you will get disrespectful people, rude people, difficult people, conniving people, manipulative people, as well as you get decent people. That's the nature of any group. There is a whole spectrum. And I've been in schools, meditation schools, Tai Chi schools, where there's been just really horrible people. And the teacher will, or the person running the school, I should say, will make no effort to correct anybody's behavior. Instead, what they'll often do is just bide their time and then throw that person out of the school. And I remember being younger thinking, oh, I wonder why the person in charge, why the, the teacher did just tell them that they're doing something right. Why didn't they tell them how to behave? And then as I came to spend longer inside traditions, I realized that actually they don't act that way with people that have been bishared. So once somebody is bishared, actually if they do something wrong or they do something manipulative or they do something rude, the teacher will tell them. Okay, and this is very much what I've said is the traditional Chinese way of, of teaching. So they will tell them and then they will give the bishared students a chance to adjust their behavior and the non-bishared students they just remove from the school. And, and I kind of get it. I didn't used to, but now I do. Because in the traditional culture, the idea is the students coming into that school should have been trying to essentially prove themselves, ultimately, in order to get to the stage where they could be bishared and given in adore teachings. And only once they prove themselves to even be worthy of bishared does this teacher, the traditional teacher, even then think, well, now I have a right to get involved in who they are as a person. Pre-bishared, they're just observing them. Yeah, so there's, there's all these different sort of balances, power balances going on, I guess. And I guess that some people, like, like when I was younger, wouldn't understand that and they would think, well, there should be a different level of you know, telling people how to be or something. But actually, I've come to agree with the traditional way. Because if somebody cannot even act with manners and ethics and decency for a short number of years, like six to nine, then they're probably not the right person to receive the more complex aspects of these arts anyway. So therefore, they're better off going away from the school and either working on their character or developing themselves in life rather than coming back for these esoteric teachings. So, you know, 
I'm sure some will disagree, and there's pros and cons to that, but I, what I'm kind of getting at is I understand the traditional way. I understand it. So then you have, like, complications. I'm aware that I said I talk about the internal aspects of Baisha, and I will do, but there's some complications around Baisha as well, one of which is the translation of the, of the term 2D, like the inner door student, because one of them you see is disciple. Now, I don't like the term disciple. Um, I've had teachers that use that term, ch Chinese teachers, who when they speak English will use the term disciple. And I'm okay with them using it because they're translating it according to the conventional way that the term is translated. But I do think it's problematic when Westerners use the term because disciple, whether we like it or not, already has a religious implication to it, right? I mean, most people in the West certainly in Christian countries like the ones I grew up in, although England's a bit of a, you know, godless hellhole, but it still um, has kind of traditional historical or background to it. When we say disciple, most people think of Christ. Now, when we start using the term disciple, like these are my disciples, I already think that whether it's stated or not, there's an uncomfortable, um, there's an uncomfortable, ability to sort of subconsciously cause a projection onto the teacher or a projection for the teachers down to the to down to the disciples because they're almost comparing themselves to some kind of divine being or certainly raising themselves onto a pedestal much higher than the students in an unhealthy way so i don't really like that term for me the difference between Baishad and non-Baishad within a sort of Western context would be the difference between a, a senior and a non-senior student, which would be the way that I would personally rather translate it so that it was more relevant to, to a sort of Western context, or perhaps inner and outer door students, because that simply refers to the kind of teaching that somebody is receiving uh, rather than, than anything else. In an in a external version of a Baisha, Inner door means invited into the teacher's house to study. Outer door means essentially you're not invited into the teacher's house. You're taught in a, a public place or something. But of course, that's metaphorical for the level of teachings you're receiving. It can also implicate the closeness of the relationship because in ancient times, if you're invited into someone's house, which is quite a vulnerable place, you know where they live, you know where they rest, you know where their family is, you're accepted as a, a family member. Whereas if you don't trust someone, you keep them out of your, your house, right? So even the, the relationship should change uh, between a student that is Baishad and not Baishad, so that a Baishad student has more of a family kind of relationship um, for you. So there's, you know, there's all those kind of complications and implications around Baishad as well. The whole ceremony of it, tapping the head to the floor and offering the master tea and all that, uh, it works in an Asian culture, especially within traditions that are quite old, or especially with masters that are quite traditional in their behavior, but again, doesn't really translate across to the West. And with regards to external versions of Baisha, which I'll define in a minute, um, it's an empty ceremony, especially when overlaid into a, a sort of Eastern context, because I understand the the implication of the of the Baisha within a sort of a culture that has almost a, what do you call it, Confucianist, that's the word I'm looking for, a Confucianist quality to it that is based upon kind of uh, loyalty, almost like, you know, 
loyalty, family loyalty or filial piety is the, is the term. So when someone is accepted and they've touched their head to the floor and accepted you as their better than they instantly should do in traditional Chinese culture, accept you as like a father. So the father, son, father, daughter, mother, son, mother, daughter um, relationship is established. So within Eastern context, that makes sense. But within the Western context, it rarely works because we don't have that Confucianist kind of society. I would say that actually a lot of Western society is based on a very individualist, individualist, individualist kind of mindset where there's less, I definitely think there's less importance placed upon this kind of traditional conservative values, I guess, would be the closest we have of respect up the family line and respect to elders. So therefore the meaning of the Baisha gets missed a little bit. So let me explain the difference between the two. Baisha, if you are Asian, traditional Asian, and a modern Asian, probably very different, but traditional Asian, Asian within a society that's been very influenced by um, Confucianism, would suggest to you that once you've touched your head to the floor and you've been accepted as an inner door student, you now become like a son or daughter to that teacher. And therefore, that teacher now has a responsibility to bring you up and nurture you as if you were one of their children. And in return, you give loyalty to them as if you were respecting your, your father or your, your mother. So that they can then move from an instructor to a teacher to nurture you and teach you all of the skills of that line. So in traditional Asia, being careful with my words because I knew that modern, modern Asia is much like the West. So, but in traditional Asia, once I've seen traditional Asians, traditionally minded Asians, receive the Baisha, then they will become very, very loyal to that teacher that they already have a lengthy relationship with and now they will allow that teacher to mold them in that direction and they have much respect for what that father or mother figure says to them. That's useful because it means that the teacher has then a say not only in the student's development and in how, but also in how they pass on the art as well. Now in the West, that concept gets lost. So what happens often when a Westerner baishas is they, I don't think they see it as I'm now stepping through the door where I can be taught. What they mistake it as is often, from what I've seen, I now have the it's like they, they mistake it not for a new father and son relationship or, or switch the genders around as you see fit, you know what I mean, parental relationship. They don't see it as that, which is the start of your journey. They see it as you've handed me the highest certification possible, so now I have freedom to do whatever I want. Can you see the difference? This is what the Westerners see as as. It reminds me very much, it's a much more simplistic thing, but of the, the black belt in Japanese arts. So I came up through arts like karate and, and um, kendo and arts like this. And in karate, especially when I was younger, you went through the colored belts uh, within a traditional art like Shotokan until you achieved a black belt. And the, the first down, the black belt, indicated that, in Chinese terms, jumping traditions, that you had completed the Jibeng Gong, the foundation work, which is why most karate up until black belt is very basic shapes. It's teaching you to use your hips and use your legs for a number of years, because it's foundational, not very advanced stuff, foundations. Then once you'd reach your black belt, that says you have finished your foundation work, so now you can begin your journey into karate. This is why um, if you look at a lot of the kata, the forms that are developed pre-black belt, they were added later and simplified versions 
of the complex forms which begin at first down, which are more akin to what would have been the proper forms from that style. So you can see what I mean, getting to black belt means you finish your basics, now at black belt you're ready to study. But most Westerners don't understand that. So what happens, they get their black belt and they think completed. They're not completed foundations, completed arts. So we mistakenly think a black belt means a master, something that's not helped by you know, movies and what have you. I even remember an old ZX Spectrum, if you're old enough to know what the fuck a ZX Spectrum is, game I had, which was a video game that loaded up on cassettes. You just have to rewind the cassette with a pencil <laughs> to get the tape to go in, and then you plug it in, it would make some weird noises for a while, and then you could play a really shit video game. Some of you are too young, you'll have no idea what the fuck I'm talking Why do you have to rewind your video game with a pencil? But one of those games was called Black Belt, for example, and it was very popular, and we all played this game called Black Belt. And of course, the implication was they were Black Belts, so they were masters. So even within our culture, our pop culture, we didn't even understand, sorry, I probably lost loads of you there, didn't even understand what a Black Belt was. So in the way that we've switched black belt is the start of your training to black belt is completion of your training, the same has happened with bi-shirt. So I will see Westerners become bi-shirt and think, oh, this is recognition from the teacher or the lineage holder that I am a master level practitioner so I can do whatever I want. Which is why you get the common story of someone being bi-shirt in Asia, a Westerner going to Asia to be bi-shirt, and then never seeing their teacher ever again. When in actual fact, once you've been bi-shirt, you should practically live near that teacher. It should be a constant um, interaction that you have with them after this because they've just bishered you, meaning I now accept you as a student as opposed to prior to you bishering. I didn't really accept you as a close student. I accepted you as an out-of-door student. So if you've only just been accepted as a student, that's when your real training begins. That's what the bisher means. So it's not the end of anything. So sometimes when you see teachers in the West using Baisha, I've been Baisha, I have this lineage, that lineage, they throw them around like certifications because Westerners, they know that most, they know, but they know that most other Westerners don't know that the Baishas they're throwing around mean I have just been accepted as an actual student within this tradition. What it means is that someone saying they are bishard shouldn't really carry much weight unless they were bishard many years ago. You know, like, the funny thing is, like, I was recently bishard about, well, less than a year ago. I was recently bishard within a, within a tradition, not a Tai Chi tradition, not a martial tradition, a, a, a spiritual tradition. So that means to me, even though I've been in that tradition for many years, many, many years, I've been in that tradition for many, many years, but only just been bishard less than a year ago. I don't announce that, well, I guess I did just announce that by sure on here, well, not what I mean. I don't throw it around like it's a qualification or something, because to me what it means is only less than a year ago, they have just started to teach me the actual inner door mechanics and proper teachings of that tradition. All of the years prior to that, they were teaching me, sure, but it was testing, testing me, getting to know who I was, I guess in a way allowing me to see who they were. Um, so when they did that Baisha for me, at no point did I consider that a certification of any start. It's like, oh right, now I have become my journey. And the result of me being Baisha, accepted into that tradition, is that I'm now right. Now I have to up my training. So therefore my life has had to be adjusted because I need to make more time to study and learn this art that I've been Baisha'd into. Now I've been through this process several times 
And that's always what I've been seen as a seen Abisha as, as the beginning of the journey. Now, unfortunately, things get distorted and things get lost, and Baishas get sold these days as well. I mean, there's several Baishas that I you know, don't really count because I only saw the teacher for a few weeks. I'm going to China, I go to a school, I'd be there three or four weeks and they'd hand me a Baisha certificate, sometimes with the ceremony, sometimes without the ceremony, and I didn't really understand it. Like, why have I been given this? And sometimes I'd be with other Westerners and they'd be all like, oh, we've been Baisha, we're lineage holders or something. And I'd be just like, why? What's the point? You don't, the teacher like doesn't know who I am. I don't know who the teacher is. They've not watched my behavior. I haven't learned the foundations. Why? It would be like me walking into a new Japanese art and they just hand me a black belt. <laughs> like, why? Why would I do that? I've, I've never done Japanese... Well, did I, I've done lots of Japanese art. I've never done Aikijitsu. How about? I've never done that. Trying to use Japanese art, I've never done. Never done Aikijitsu. It would be like me walking into an Aikijitsu class and they just hand me a first hand. It wouldn't make any sense. That's what happens when people go and they get given a baisha when you, you don't know the person and you've not done any of their foundation work. They don't know your character. They've not taught you. So I, I don't get it. So sometimes I've been handed those kind of baishas and I just take the piece of paper that comes with it and stuff it in the bottom of a drawer and generally don't ever go back to that school or that teacher because I know that that teacher's not acting with integrity. If they would qualify me that quickly without checking my character, then they're clearly not... Um, valuing their system enough anyway. They're not taking it seriously. And then I came to realize that actually those people were by sharing me very quickly for a couple of reasons. In the old days, it was because I was white and they wanted white students. So often the Asian teachers would have, it would be a status symbol to have a Western student. These days that doesn't really happen quite so much because there's a lot more Westerners going to China. But in the old days, there wasn't so many. So therefore, many teachers didn't have a Western student. So it was a big deal. So as a Western student, I would often get a Baisha like that, whether I, want, you know, whether I asked for it or not. Second thing was, they knew I had a school that's not small. Lotus Tungong is pretty huge now, but it was never that small. And once they figured out I had a student base, then of course it was a business thing because they'd buy Shami, then really, by all accounts, they get access to all of the people I teach. So there was that. And then also a financial thing as well. So lots of those things were, uh, you know, a combination to ensure that Baishas were handed to me very easily. So my ego had to ignore those very easily given Baishas because many times I was with other Westerners or something that were given Baisha or I saw similar things happen. People who had names for themselves in the West would go to a teacher and get given a Baisha and I would see them get carried away and suddenly think, the teacher must have recognized something amazing in me that nobody else has. I must be a, a natural and I'm thinking, no, it's because you're white and you've got a lot of students. It's a business thing, you know? Oh, I just realized it's getting dark. I hope the uh, picture quality is okay and it, it holds out. But uh, you're listening anyway, I guess. Not much to see, just me chatting. So there's, you know, that's, that's a bit of the negative of, of Baishas and, and the positives, you know? The, the, if, so I guess what I'm getting at is if a Baisha is done properly, then it should ensure a certain standard of instruction has been maintained because normally what happens is the person that baishad you has been baishad themselves and then da 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 da. And it means that the person can pass on that line. It's also why traditionally teachers would not normally like you, not normally baishad you if you've been baishad a lot of other times. 
if you get what I mean. Like I've already got six Baisha, six masters of Baisha of me, then I go to see the seventh master, and then the seventh master gives me a Baisha as well. Now each of those masters, especially the later ones, knows that their art is not probably not going to be passed on as purely as it possibly could, because in classical traditional Chinese way of doing things, you could only really have one master. You could only really be baishered by one master. Say you take Tai Chi. Say you're a Yang-style Tai Chi practitioner, and you had a lineage from a Yang-style master. You might have had three or four teachers, but usually you would only be baishered by one, because their view was they wanted their at least their method to be passed on in as pure a way as they could from one teacher to the other. Now, no teacher, no method is ever purely pure. It always gets adjusted or changed, of course, because body types are different, people are different, experiences are different. So a pure lineage, it's something like Tai Chi doesn't really exist. But there's degrees of it. So if you'd spent 50 years developing your art and then you buy sure somebody, you want to hand that art across in the best way you possibly can, knowing they will preserve it as purely as they possibly can. But if that person's had eight other Baishas, and they've had them for a while, then that person already has eight other teachers' input into their body, eight other teachers' input into their system. Meaning when I hand them my methods and I teach them, it's going to mix with all of those other eight to produce uh, some kind of amalgamation of all of the other systems they've learned. Because how can you... Say you do Yang style and you do three different versions of Yang style. You don't really... You can't do three different versions of Yang style. They will become one version of Yang style, which is the version that happens in your body when they all mix. You might know all the forms for the three different forms of Yang style, but of course you're, you're doing one Yang style. Here's an example. I, I'm trained in Chen Manqing and Huang style, Huang Xinxian style, style Tai Chi, which, okay, obviously they're quite similar because Chen Manqing taught Huang Xinxian. So I have those mechanics built into my, my body from doing those styles. I also have the Tian Jiao Lin methods, because I learned from other teachers. I have a, 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 an unusual southern version of Yang style Tai Chi uh, that I've studied as, as well. And then a, an, another form as well. It, it doesn't really matter, but it, it's like for one, one time on another video, I'll outline my martial arts background if people are interested in, in Tai Chi. I know some of the people I teach would like me to make it clearer, so I will do. But uh, say I've got those four different systems. Now, the, tai, the Huang style and the Chen Manqin style work very different to the Tian Jiao Lin style and very different. Well, I've got also a very sort of Yang Chen Fu line as well. Now, those are very different mechanics, very, very different mechanics from each other. So if I were to try to keep those separate, I can't. So I, when I teach the people I teach Huang style Tai Chi, which is what I start with, it's already modified a little bit by what they're learning from me because my body already has the methods I learned from the Yang Chen Fu line and the Tian Jiao Lin line and the Southern Yang style line all built into my body. They're built into the mechanics of what I'm doing. Because all of the arts transform your body, I can only do the art with my body. So, in the same way as I can't do pure Huang style Tai Chi, I also couldn't do the Qian Jiao Lin style purely. I just couldn't, because it would be modified or it has been affected by my Huang style Tai Chi. So therefore, whatever form I do is Yang style is governed by all of these different systems. 
People might try to pretend that you can avoid that, but you can't. You definitely can't. I mean, realistically, I also do Bagua, Chang-style Bagua. So Chang-style Bagua, spelt Cheng-style, if you're wondering about that, Chang-style Bagua has also changed my body as well. I've also got Hebei Jingyi. So <laughs> if all those things are built into my body, I'm sure there is an influence from my Bagua into my Tai Chi. I'm sure there's an influence from my Tai Chi into my Bagua. So therefore, I can't really claim that any of them are pure. So if you think about if a, an aging master is deciding to hand on to their lineage, what they're hoping for is someone that is passes all of their criteria and then doesn't doesn't have all of those other systems built into their body. So therefore what they want is someone who's clean, if you want, that they can baisha. And if you already have all the other baishas, you should understand or find out from your teacher what they expect, because often that teacher, once they baishad you, will expect you to work with them. This is the start of your training with them. Remember, you've been baishad, you've been accepted as a student. So now they're, what they're going to do is they're going to try to train all of the other mechanics of the other styles out of you to try to purify or clean your mechanics so you more purely carry that system through. So I don't know if I explained that very well, but that's the expectation. So it's like a discussion or something that I always wanted to find out with someone when I'm going to be accepted by being Baishad, accepted into a tradition. To what degree do they wish to eradicate my prior learning to uh, pass on this Baisha to me, to pass on their tradition? Because otherwise, what vested interests would they have? Like, think about it. What, in, what, other than money or business, what vested interest would they have in passing a Baisha onto you, in passing a lineage onto you, if you're not going to preserve it in the purest way possible? So I've been aware of people that have taken Baishas just to get hold of a form that they're then going to mix other mechanics into to create some new hybrid. Now, in my view, the teacher that gave them the Baisha doesn't know that's going to happen because they're probably working on a more traditional Asian mindset where the assumption is that student is now but accepted by me, so therefore they respect me, so they're going to eradicate all of their previous mechanics so they can learn this one because they must be the flag bearer for my tradition. Or alternatively, that Chinese teacher is just after money and status, in which case the Baisha is pointless. So there's those kind of complications, right? So that's, you know, a part of the, the Baisha complications or the Baisha ethics, the Baisha morality. You know, like, it's, they're all things that you, you need to consider if there's something you're going to take seriously. Because remember, a Baisha is not just like a teaching certification something different. It's just that it's not often understood in the West, which is why I'm making this video, because I want people to understand it. So those are external Baishas I've spoken about so far, which are more like what you will get in Tai Chi traditions, Bagua tradition, martial arts traditions, essentially, and some Qigong traditions. External Baisha things. And the external Baisha is very much... What I mean by external is it's about a teaching that is passed on. So... I've accepted you as an Inador student. You are now my disciple, if you want to use the, the translation I don't like. So therefore, I'm now going to teach you. That's an external Baisha. Now, the difference is we have an internal Baisha. Now, an internal Baisha, which is my way of classifying it. I don't know if they traditionally divided them up like so, but 
you know, this is how I'm going to word it, an internal baisha is not present in Tai Chi, which is odd because I know Tai Chi is an internal art, but it, uh, wait till you see how I define internal baisha. An internal baisha is different. An internal baisha exists within a more spiritual tradition. Now, I know some people would like to pretend that Tai Chi is equivalent to the sort of deepest mystical of arts, but it's not. It is a form of meditative work, and it has a very deep transformative um, capabilities on a person's body and mind. So Tai Chi is incredibly deep. Bagua is incredibly deep. So, but it still it misses one component, and that component exists in something like Nadan alchemy, or meditation from the Chan traditions or meditation from a yogic tradition like it doesn't matter meditation should have this and then also uh, Negong will have this as well like spiritual traditions will include a different kind of Baisha so these Baishas are different because the internal Baisha as odd as it I'm trying to figure out how to word it might sound weird to some people you'd have to go through the Baisha within these traditions to fully understand it but it includes something that is past, for want of a better word, psychically, but it's, it's actually from a form of energetic magnetism, if you want, but we'll say psychically for now. Yes, that'll do. Psychically passed from the teacher to the student, essentially. So there's a kind of energetic empowerment that is passed on that's not present in Tai Chi, uh, not present in martial art lineages. I know some people would like to say they are, but I've been around martial arts my whole life, I've been involved in Tai Chi for many, many years. I've been around, I've been at many Baisha ceremonies. It's not a part of, of martial arts. It's not how they work. Sometimes people would try to conflate things, but they're there. But these are more alchemical um, Baishas. They're different. So meditative Baishas, baishas or, or alchemical Baishas involve something that's passed from the teachers to the students. So they literally awaken within the student certain energetic components, certain aspects of their mind that make them more suited to the spiritual work. So something is actually passed like a seed from the teacher to the student. So in these kind of traditions, Baisha is not just sought after, it's treasured, like it's really, very really important. Like realistically, for, for an art like Tai Chi, I've met people that are Baisha that aren't that good. I've met people that were never Baisha in Tai Chi, but they're exceptional. You know, they, it doesn't correlate. I've met people that are Baisha that are exceptional, people that aren't Baisha. Like, it's every possible thing within the martial arts because ultimately martial arts depends upon your own personal input that you put in. So it, Baisha serves a purpose because it shows you've been accepted by someone to teach you, but it, it's not the be-all and end-all, you know? Whereas in something like alchemy or meditation, once you get to the higher levels, actually the Baisha is more valued because the teacher will like attune you at the point of giving you the baisha and making you the disciple if you want so that you are more it's like you're dragging you from a particular vibrational frequency towards their own which is in line with the lineage and then it's easier for you to do the work within that line so these kind of baishas don't normally involve handing over a tea or a red envelope not from what i've seen um Sometimes they still have touching the head to the floor and there's different ceremonial aspects. Sometimes there's an offering to a shrine, but not always. But more importantly, trying to get the words right, more importantly, the teacher will pass on, normally either through a thumb onto the forehead or the top of the head, or through a mission of chi or something like this, they will pass on to you something that will transform the inside of your, your body. 
Now, I've been through a few of these. Um, some of them, there is a vague feeling of something happening inside. Some, and I don't know if that's because teachers have different strengths or my perception is better. Uh, one case, I've been through Baisha ceremonies where they'll literally switch off your awareness. So it's like you lose time, like you lose five minutes. You think you've been sort of blacked out for five seconds. You come back and five, ten minutes have passed and they've been playing around with your energy fields, almost like an alien abduction. You know, you hear these people that are driving and then they wake up in the middle of the road and they've lost several hours and they can't remember it. It's very similar with some of these Baishas. It, I'm not saying that aliens abduct you during it. I don't think so. Maybe that's how they work. But they, you, you kind of lose time. Like there's a whole profound shift that goes on. The first Baisha I received of this sort, the, I was quite young actually, younger than, I'm surprised they did it, put his thumb on my forehead and the first thing that happened was like fireworks going off in my head, like a display of lights and explosions. I remember my head being thrown back and it was like someone was sending electricity through my, my body. And then afterwards, I went through a whole kind of <laughs> mental collapse, for want of a better term, while my mind readjusted itself in line with the, the lineage. And this is a, an internal version of Baisha. So at this stage, this kind of Baisha like I say, is often sought out because it's the seed for your kind of energetic awakening. It doesn't mean that awakening can't be achieved without it, of course, but it's a hell of a leg up, if you know what I mean. Now, these kind of Baishas, you can't really carry more than one because the Baisha contains a kind of thumbprint. And sometimes you can read it. I've been to teachers who have the ability like, to read the thumbprint of the person that Baishad you or the tradition they're in, you're in. So they can go, all right, you're within this particular branch of this Chan lineage. I don't have that ability to sense or read that, but they can. They can read because the thumbprint is there. So it reminds me of like, you know, there's your thumbprint on the stamp, the red seal, you know, that they put the Chinese stamp on. And they often they change Yin Tang, which is a point named after the, the spirit seal, the sealing process. And then they overwrite that seal with their own thumbprint. And what it often does is eradicate the previous lineage, meaning that your teachings are not lost, the methods are not lost, you still remember them, but your vibrational frequency, your energy state has been moved from that lineage to the new lineage. Because you can't have both. So you can't be bishered into, for example, a northern alchemical Taoist sect and a Chan Buddhist meditative sect, not if the Baishas you received in both of these traditions were real and authentic and actually the unbroken psychic seed that have been passed down through those lines. Because as soon as I have one, it replaces the other and overwrites it. So when I see people say they have, so when I see people say or writings that they have a Hindu lineage and a Buddhist lineage and a Taoist lineage, I know that actually that's not quite true. They might mean that they have studied or been accepted to a point where they learn the methods in these different traditions, but they can't actually have an, a working internal tradition within these particular methods because each one would overwrite the other. Now, of course, I'm not saying that somebody who says they have all those lineages being dishonest, um, definitely not, that's not what I mean. I mean, in a way, I could say that if, if I wanted to because I think sometimes people might be indicating they've been accepted and as inner students and have the methods from different traditions. So, for example, I have been bishered in Taoist traditions, alchemical traditions, and I've been bishered in Chan traditions. So I could say accurately that I have lineages in both Taoism and Buddhism, but 
So, so, but there'd be nothing wrong with that because it'd be indicating that I've reached a certain level of acceptance as an Inador student in those traditions. So you could say that, but it would be more accurate to say, not it'd be complicated, but it'd be more accurate to say, I have previously been initiated into this tradition, but now I'm initiated into this tradition. That gets complicated. I'm not sure people would understand it, but maybe from what I'm explaining here in this lecture, you can understand that what I'm indicating is I used to have a lineage in this tradition, now I have a lineage in this tradition. And the last Baisha I went through, the first half of the Baisha, was them eradicating the previous Baisha. That's what it was. There was a, a cleansing ceremony done first to eradicate the um, structure that had been put into my energy system from the previous tradition before their tradition was overlaid, overlaid onto my own. And I don't think that's for ownership or anything. It's simply for the practicalities of... Maybe it's only, I don't think so. <laughs> if, if there is an energetic thing that is being passed on, I need to make that person resonate with this lineage as strongly as I can. Otherwise, it won't work because I don't want a, a, a fusion, an amalgamation of these two things. Because even though fusions are popular these days, they don't really work. You know, the, the purity of a lineage is better if you wish to get it to work for you for your particular thing. So, Accurately, I could say I have external baishas. I have a few. There's been several external baishas people have given me within different traditions. But because I have studied several different versions of Yang style Tai Chi, Chen style as well, actually. Not many people know that, but I have a Chen style background too. I've been in these arts for a long time. And uh, <laughs> a Xingyi background and a Bagua background. And I've been initiated into not all of those, but some of them none of those arts are pure. Like, I, I can never claim to be a pure anything because my, my body has transformed according to their arts. So if people say, what kind of style do you do? I could say, well, I teach you the systems of... I can teach you the systems of Yang style and I can teach you the systems of Bagua. But me personally, I am not pure any of those things because those arts I did, I practiced to the point of them transforming my body. So what style do I do? My style is internal Chinese martial arts. That's my style, based upon the input of several versions of Yang style Tai Chi, Chen style Tai Chi, Bagua and Jingyi. It doesn't mean that I've created a fusion of the forms or a fusion of the systems, but I guess you could argue that my body is a kind of fusion of the results of all of those arts. So my external background, my external baishas are representative of the fact that those teachers who taught me those arts have accepted me enough to start teaching me those systems, and this is the result. My internal lineage is only of one. Despite having been through the Baishas one, two, three, four, despite being taken through four internal versions of five, that's rude, yeah, I forgot five, sorry, one of them for a very short space of time. But despite being taken through five internal baishas, I only have one. Because that internal baisha is not based upon the methods or the exercises. I still know the methods and the exercises for those five different traditions. And I don't teach them all. I only teach from one. But I've, I know the exercises from five different traditions. But I only have one baisha because the internal version of the Baisha has overwritten all of the others to leave me with one. So I have four X, <laughs> it's like having four X's, four X Baishas, 
internally and one current Baisha, and that's basically where I sit tradition-wise. But because that's all very complicated and it takes a while to explain, you know, it wouldn't really work, would it? You go on your website and you look up your teacher's CV and he says, I've got 4X lineages. <laughs> it doesn't really work, but hopefully you can see from a very literal point of view what I'm trying to explain here. Now, to some of you, this will all sound too cosmic, for sure. So the external lineages are what most people would believe in. And, and they're different kinds, aren't they? Because the external lineage is very much this person taught this person taught this person. The internal lineage is based upon the idea of a seed being passed on and then it opens up in, to someone to achieve a certain level of awakening and then that seed is passed on. So it's a different thing, right? So how are lineages lost? Because they are, right? And they're both lost in different ways. The external lineage is lost when the purity of the lineage is broke. So, for example, could I ever pass on an external lineage that I've been handed? I don't think so. I don't think many teachers would admit this. This is me being <laughs> brutally honest. So, because I was given the lineage for a, say, say, take two versions of Yang. Say I got two lineages for two different versions of Yang. Could I ever pass those on? No. So, I could never hand on a Baisha in Yang style Tai Chi. I could never hand on a Baisha in Bagua. I just couldn't. Because I'm not purely doing that one system. So, therefore, if I were to Baisha someone, it's already amalgamation. So, I don't. I don't really see what the point of it is. So I'm a Westerner. It wouldn't really translate for me. I think it's weird if a Westerner did this anyway. But say some, it would be weird. It would just feel odd. But if someone came to me and said, I want you to Baisha me in Yang style Tai Chi, I would say, no, I can't. Because honestly, I can't teach you the method that's been passed down through, say, Tian Jiaolin's line to me because it's already mixed with all of these Yang style things. Because simply teaching you the form is not really teaching you the inner door. It's not, it's not inner door teachings because inner door teachings, hope that maybe this doesn't make sense. Look, outer door teachings are the forms and the drills. So even though lots of people think, oh, I know all the secrets because I got all the drills, I got all the forms, I know all the exercises, that's still outer door. Outer door, you can learn all the forms and the drills and the exercises. Inner door is the teacher is able to pass all of the subtle internal mechanics from themselves to you. Now, if someone were to try to buy share in, say, Tianjiao lin lineage from myself, they couldn't, or I couldn't pass it on honestly because there's internal mechanics from Bagua and Huang style all mixed in with my body. So the most they could get from me in external in martial arts is they could buy share and become a disciple of my methods, but it's not it's not Tian Jiao Lin's anymore. It's not Huan Shen Chan's line. It's not uh, Southern one of the Southern factions, the Nanpei line. It's not it's none of those things because it's not Chang Star Bagua. It's all mixed in my body. So I have an internal method I use, but they can't. It, it's not purely any of those lines anymore. I hope that makes sense. Like so, I'm I'm just being brutally honest, and this is why I would be in an unsatisfactory candidate for a further Baisha in the martial arts from someone that wanted to preserve the purity 
of their lineage because I, it's too many things built into my body. So they would have to eradicate all of the other mechanics in my body, get rid of them, so that I could purely pass on what they were teaching, and that would be the Baisha. It, it, so to counter that, like I do also think that many of the teachers that came before also did similar things. So I don't think, you know, there's how many generations since Yang Lu Chan I don't think anyone is doing what Yang Lu Chan did. They might all be looking for the secret source of Yang Lu Chan's original method, but every single teacher has changed it. By the time it reached Chan Jiao Lin, by the time it reached, you know, whatever, Yang Ban Hou, by the time it reached Chen Ban Ching, it had been modified by their prior experiences. So realistically, the, it's already modified. So maybe you could argue that's already been happening, but I, I would feel that the most I could ever teach is my personal interpretation of the arts. And I think that's all any martial arts teacher can do. For some people, that's not acceptable. They want the traditional, the original, but of course, I think they're deluded because the most you can ever learn is the external forms. But the other reason I would never baisha someone in the external tradition is I just don't think that it carries across into Western traditions very well, Western culture. I couldn't imagine sitting in a chair while... Dave, <laughs> just some random name, hands me a cup of tea. I take the Chinese tea, I sip it. I wish it was uh, something more interesting. And then they bow to me three times on the floor and then hand me a red envelope. And then we light incense for the ancestor. Thank you, Yang Lu Chan. And that, like, it's, it's cosplay. It's such an alien concept to a non-Confucian, non-Chinese, non-Asian person that... The, the ceremony is empty because it's an external lineage anyway. It doesn't make any sense for that to be the case. So I would never take someone through that process for a martial art. For me personally, I, I think it translates better into the West to have students, senior students, and then people that you make very, very clearly are highly senior within your school and you trust them to teach the arts you taught them to the highest possible degree. And that's probably enough. There's no need for the for the ceremony and the ritual, and certainly no need for the name of, like, the term disciple or anything. I know that not everybody will agree with that or agree with my take on it, and you, you might be right. I'm not, um, I'm, not <laughs> I'm not overly fixed on that view. I could be completely wrong. It's just my take on it, and, and maybe to some people that ceremony and that ritual does hold a place. Maybe it does hold a place. Maybe... I'm trying to talk myself out of it now, aren't I? Maybe it does hold a place in modern society, but I don't think so. But I'm, then again, I'm not really a, a culture file, you know. I'm not, you probably, well, this this is my couch. This isn't the podcast studio. You probably see from the podcast studio I usually film in uh, that I'm clearly not a highly cultured guy. So therefore, the whole of Chinese culture doesn't really appeal. I love the arts, but I'm not that interested in all of the the trimmings, and maybe the people more interested in preserving that Chinese culture, they would be more interested in maintaining that. But do remember that inner door teachings are not based on usually a new exercise or something. They're based upon the subtle internal skills that the teacher passes to the student. It's the other reason why you shouldn't take a baisha from someone whose skills you don't respect. I don't see the point of it, unless it's for business or status. Because I've heard of people that will say, well, I'm baishad under this guy, but he's not very good. It's like, why did you take the baisha under it? Because the whole point of baisha is you're agreeing 
to be their student. They're agreeing to now nurture you as a student and teach you the inner door aspects of the art. So therefore, if you don't respect their skill, the Baisha was pointless. And it's, it goes back to that thing that you observe each other, three years visit the master, three years visit the student, that's six years of assessing each other to decide that this is the right person to nurture me in these particular skills. The only reason I have quite a few Baishas is, remember I'm not counting the ones that I don't really place importance on that were mostly political, I just ignore. It's because I spent years and years with each teacher. Like each teacher I've had, sometimes they crossed over and I had more than one at once, but I've spent a long time with each teacher, like a long time. I've trained since I was a kid and I've spent ages. I went to, some of them I went to live with, some of them I at least lived near. I moved house. I literally moved my house to go and live near the teachers so that I could spend time with them and, and study in every single class they did. That was how I learned. So full time training or as close as I could get was what I was always after with teachers that were bisharing me and, and taking me on as students. I wanted as much interaction as I could to learn the inner door methods. And the inner door methods, like I said, were not more exercises. It was more input with hands-on or allowing me to feel what's going on in their body or showing me how to manipulate the inside of my body or whatever to create the higher level results within those arts or my clumsy attempts at. So what am I talking about? Who knows? Baisha. <laughs> and then in the internal version of the Baisha, like I say, you can only have one, but that is something that is different. To me, that can be passed on. But even that, you need to understand like the difference between the ceremonial aspects of the internal Baisha and the actual mechanics that pass it on. So even that, the passing on of the energetics, doesn't necessarily need all of the ritualistic aspects. Sometimes it's hard to ascertain which ritualistic parts are needed and which aren't, so maybe you're better off doing all of it. But then also you have to reach a certain level of skill before a Baisha can be passed on. Because the external lineages die because a teacher couldn't find anyone who could purely enough do their method, so it got watered down by being mixed with all of the other methods they did. That was how external lineages got lost. So therefore, if you wanted a pure Bagua lineage, you found a teacher that only had that Bagua lineage. That was the easiest way to learn. If they had eight Bagua lineages from uh, eight, it's appropriate for Bagua, eight Bagua lineages from eight different teachers, you probably weren't getting a pure lineage because it's all mixed in. You know? So that was how they got lost. Internal lineages, and does it matter? Who knows? I mean, in martial arts, the most important thing is the skill anyway, right? Not what credentials you have. Then the uh, internal lineages would get lost because the teacher that received the Baisha hadn't then used the seed of the Baisha to awaken enough that there was anything worth passing on. So say, for example, I go to an alchemy master, or whatever, a meditation master. It doesn't really have to be any particular system. And they pass on the sort of mind-to-mind -mind stamp that adjusts everything inside of me. Fireworks, mind change, energetic adjustment. Okay, I receive it. Then I go away. Two weeks later, I buy show somebody else. <laughs> What's the point? It won't do anything. It won't pass anything on because the master passes it to me. I then need to practice for 20 years to enable that process to unfold within me till I reach a certain degree of awakening, something that I haven't yet reached. I'm still a muppet. So you, till it unfolds within you, till the seed has been given time to water and grow, and only then, only then, when you have maximized or actualized to the highest potential that you possibly can, the teachings you receive, 
then that internal version of the lineage could be passed on by you to somebody else as well. And then their role is to take that seed and water it till it flourishes to the highest possible degree, and then they can pass it on. So how the internal lineages get lost is it get passed to a person, and then they quit training, which often happens, or it gets passed to that person, and then they hand it on, or try to, before they've even done anything themselves. And then, of course, what happens is that person you pass it on to passes it on to someone else quickly, someone else quickly. Next thing you know, there's five more generations within your lifetime of it just being passed on and it never coming to fruition because the internal Baisha is based upon coming out of your realization of the full process. And that's the difference between the internal and the external lineage. Now, these days, internal Baishas are external baishas are starting to be rarer, you know, especially with the proliferation of external schools of Tai Chi, not just that, Tai Chi Yoga, uh, Tai Chi Bhagwat Yoga as well, like the widespread practice of it is losing that sort of traditional aspect. But then in internal arts, internal baishas are even rarer, like they're starting to disappear big time, so they're hard to find, because to find a meditation teacher or an internal teacher that's actually raised reached a high degree of actualization or realization is very, very rare. And of course, it means that <laughs> that unbroken line of realized masters to pass it on, well, it's very difficult. And if you do get past an internal lineage, an internal Baisha, of course, now you have a big responsibility. A big responsibility, more than just a marketing thing. I need to keep it alive through its culture. No, you need to keep it, I need to keep it, I've got the responsibility, haven't I? I need to keep it alive by trying, by damnedest to actually reach the full potential of that method within my lifetime. Otherwise, I am directly responsible for at least a part of the death of that internal Baisha. If I don't personally achieve mastery, which I have not yet, if I don't personally achieve a mastery, then I've been responsible for the killing of an internal lineage. Hopefully, they pass it on to some other people too, and maybe they can spread it if I fail. But that's a responsibility that comes from an internal lineage. So these days, external baishas mean little to me. But internal baisha, or you know, the one at a time you can hold, is, is very, very important. It's a sacred thing that needs preserving. You know? And I guess the argument then, and that kind of goes back to a different podcast, a podcast I only put on the audio files. There's a couple of podcasts never made it to YouTube, if you're watching this. They're only on the um, podcast apps. I did another one on baisha about... And if, if you're interested in more of my take on the sort of internal or spiritual Baishas, you can find that podcast. Uh, I can't remember it's called, but you'll find it, something about lineages. But it's, it's concerning the fact that you can only ever really be first or second generation of a lineage in the internal traditions, because as soon as that seed is passed to me, and say by some fucking miracle, I achieve some kind of awakening, then really then the seed I'm passing on is the fruition of my awakening. So you... I become the first generation, they become the second, then they awaken, they become the first, and then they become the second. So the whole idea of there being 26 generations of an internal or spiritual lineage doesn't really work. It's like there's 26 generations maybe of the methods, but not of the actual imprint of the realization that's passed on. So it's, it's a complicated and intricate procedure. And especially with internal lineages as well, you need to be... This nice cat running around in the garden. I was trying to make friends with him, but he, he doesn't trust me yet. I think he can tell I'm, I'm mostly a dog person, but he'll warm to me. <laughs> uh, 
Yes. You, you need to be aware that there is a, a psycho-emotional imprint of the uh, personality of the teacher onto you as well. So very much I can see many of my values automatically start to shift, whether I like it or not, to the values of the people that have passed on the internal version of the Baisha to me. So therefore, it's very important to me that I get to know that teacher, and I would never accept a Baisha ceremony from a teacher that I didn't respect as a person. They have to be moral and ethical, not perfect, who is, but moral and ethical and have a, a standpoint that resonates with what I believe to be right. And if there are um, characteristics or traits that I find deplorable within that person, then I don't want the Baisha. And in fact, the internal Baisha would be negative for me because I would start to adopt some of their character traits. And, and so it, it's it's a big topic. Like, I could go on talking about Baisha for hours and hours and hours. Honestly, it's so huge. And there's a whole interesting aspect with the mechanics of it and, and the sort of spiritual and the karmic implications of it for both the teacher and the student. It's a huge, huge topic. And it's something that's not, like, it's almost enough for a book on its own, you know? Not that I could be bothered to write such a thing. It'd be writing it and reading it would be like watching paint dry. But Baisha is huge. And I just wanted to do this podcast episode to explain to people who are interested the implications of such a thing. So a few parting thoughts on Baisha. Number one, they should never be political. They're not a certificate. Once you are Baisha, that means you are accepted to start your training. Okay, that's what it means. The other thing with Baisha is that they're only useful if you then bring it to fruition and and it actualizes within you, otherwise it's pointless. Because your skill or your realization is what matters most of all within all of these arts. So, yeah, I don't know if that's helpful, but as you know, I like to talk shit. So, and I was asked to do one on Baisha. So there we go, that's my view on Baisha's. You might not agree and, um, I get it, actually, and this is one of these podcasts where uh, well, I'm all right if you disagree. I'm definitely okay if you disagree with this one because I know people will have all different ideas about Baisha, and I'm sure within different traditions they've interpreted it differently, and I can only give you my personal experience of Baisha from the traditions uh, that I've been within. So, thank you.